This is In-Ear Insights, the Trust Insights Podcast. In this week's In-Ear Insights, having a data party, specifically talking about first, second, and third party data. What is it? Why does it matter? Uh, and how are things changing? And what should you do about it? And today, we have a special guest with us, uh, Brooke Sellis from the uh, the Ad and Content and Marketing Agency B Squared, along with uh, Katie. So, uh, Katie, just to get things started, why are we even talking about this this whole business of whose party is is the data party? Well, so the crux of the conversation uh, starts with the. Uh, iOS 14 updates and all of the different uh, privacy practices that they've been putting in place. And so, you know, it's it's going to be a pain in the butt for marketers. And I, it already is. So they've been talking about this since uh, the winter time, since around December, January, knowing that this was coming. I was reading through some blogs and forums, trying to just get my head around what the heck is going on. And I've also been working with Brooke's team um, their account managers on the ad side, because a lot of them are running Facebook ads. And that seems to be one of the biggest pain points for some of these changes. And so um, what Facebook is doing is like, cool, you kind of have to reset everything, but we're not totally going to tell you how it's going to work. You got to figure it out. But if you don't figure it out in time, we're going to pause your ads. Good luck. And so that (laughs) that notice like 48 hours before they actually paused the ads. I mean, you knew it was coming, but then it was like, hey, so we're going to pause your stuff. Well, and that's the challenge. Um, And so they gave you very little notice. And when I went back and started reading older blog posts when they were making these announcements last winter, a lot of what it said was, we don't totally know what these changes are going to look like. So we cannot instruct you on what exactly to do. And so now on like a Friday morning, when you find out that your ads are paused or they're going to be paused on a Monday and you're scrambling to try to figure out how to change everything. And if you're running them on behalf of a client, you don't have full access and you need the client to do something, but they hired you because they don't know what they're doing. This is sort of where we're at. And this is why we wanted to bring Brooke into the conversation because Brooke, this is what your agency does. And so we want to get your perspective on, you know, what it's been like and also what it means, you know, for advertising moving forward. Any sort of, you know, predictions in terms of certain platforms or even just the ability to do, you know, things that as we've always done them. Yeah, I think, you know, for us, it's, it was a scramble moment. I'm sure for a lot of people, it's they're scrambling. And that's exactly kind of what happened. It was what you said. On a Friday, we went in and we had messages about the update. And it was like, hey, so if you don't fix these by Monday, we're going to pause on everything. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> so on a, literally on a Friday afternoon, we're scrambling to try to get some of these updates made so that obviously none of the ads were paused. That's what we do. So so we live in that world. I think it's fine for us. Where I see the struggle, the real struggle, both with what's happening with Facebook and iOS and then what's coming with Google is with the really small businesses, right? So um, some of our small businesses never had a Facebook business manager. They don't really have a web developer on their team. So, so when Facebook is saying, we need to verify your domain, there's no one really on that client side to go through and kind of take those steps, even though they're easy, right? Just putting a little snippet of code on uh, the site. They don't really have that person to do that. And, and um, 
they can give us access to do it, but it turns into this whole big long thing at which point, like we just talked about, your ads are gonna be paused for a small amount of time. And for some clients, that's not a big deal, but for others, you know, they are literally making some of their revenue from the ads that they're running. We have a small jewelry client who's getting a 17X on their ads right now. That means for every dollar they spend, they're getting 17. Of course, you have to back out some of the costs behind that, but they're literally making money. That's where some of their revenue comes from for this very small business. So, you know, for me, and I'll say, you know, with, take it with a grain of salt. I think the, the businesses who are going to get hard, hit hardest with all this are the really small businesses. So you've got, you've got three parties, right? First party data, which is the audience gives you their data on a property you own. They fill out a form on your website. The second party data, which is where the audience gives you their information directly from a site that isn't yours. So for example, like if, um, if we had a, a download form on bsquared.media, uh, and it was a co-registration event, like co-register for a webinar, and we both got the data from that form, that would be second-party data for us because it's a site we don't own. And then there's third-party data, which is where you get data about the audience that the audience didn't give you. They gave it to somebody else. So for a lot of these clients that are smaller businesses, is the path forward for them to migrate away from third-party data from third-party advertising into second-party advertising? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think for me, what the aha moment was, right? Because I mean, full disclosure, I don't do the advertising myself. I have a wonderful team of people who do it and they're so much smarter than I am. Um, but I wanted to understand what's going on because obviously this is going to affect our business. So as I started to read, the biggest thing that I started to understand with third-party data is this is where we get a lot of the interest data from. So when you're retargeting people, which is obviously a lot of what we do in the advertising world all of that comes from third party so if a if katie right if i'm trying to target katie and katie shops on these sites and she buys from these sites i can get that interest information from her and so katie becomes attractive to me because i know that she shops at similar places or she has the interest and psychographical makeup of a, of someone who i also want to target for my products right that is third-party data. That's what's going away. So that's also going to be a huge blow, I think, to everyone, honestly. Anybody who runs any sort of art, uh, retargeting or interest-based advertising is going to get hit hard there. So second-party data is an important place, first-party data. And then you guys actually introduced us to some interesting ways to play around, which we're testing now, um, that don't require third-party cookies for doing things like, you know, cool things like retargeting. So Stack Adapt is the tool you introduced us to. It's a programmatic advertising tool, but one of the things that they do that we're testing right now with one of our healthcare clients is what's called um, contextual advertising. So this is where say you, there's an article in the New York Times about how COVID has affected coffee and the uh, availability of coffee, coffee chain supply, all that stuff, supply chain. Um, you can put an ad for your very expensive coffee machine into that New York Times article, right? It's contextual. The AI finds the placement of the media by based on very specific keyword phrases. And that doesn't require any sort of third-party data to place that ad. So I think there's a lot of different avenues you can go down, which are looking at like first and second party data. But I think you better start looking real fast because I, I feel like the Google thing is going to sneak up on us just kind of kind of like the 
Facebook thing did. We knew it was coming. We had all this time. But then, as we talked about with Katie, we were scrambling on a Friday to make sure nothing was paused on a Monday. It sounds like influencers and sponsorships would be very much that as well. Contextual. Like if you know, for example, that you're after marketers and you would advertise logically with you know, the Marketing Over Coffee podcast because it's marketers who listen to it. It's, you know, people who like Barbie dolls probably don't listen to that show. Maybe. Can't judge. Um. No judgment. <laughs> I mean, Chris. The main... <laughs> The Sorry, main continue. interest, the main interest is around marketing, and you know that's why people are there. Yes. Um, the same for like a, a newsletter. The same for an individual website. Like if you happen to have a food blogger who blogs about tofu, and you sell a brand of tofu, it would seem like a logical place. But it sounds like also that's a lot more work because instead of having a system where you just push, you know, interests, tofu, uh, you have to now, or your agency now has to go and, and hunt down. Okay. Who's blogging about tofu? Yes. Yeah. You're exactly right. It's so much more work. And I think that's why, again, like the, even the small agencies and we're a small agency are going to be strained. I mean, luckily we have trust insights in our, in our pocket and in our corner. And we've been kind of working with you guys on some workarounds and some ideas, but I just think the conversation needs to be had now, today, if you haven't already started the conversation, because I feel like even starting it today might be a little bit late. I mean, we are we are also scrambling, um, to be quite honest, to figure out what to do to you know fix what's coming with Google. And we still have a whole year, but I just don't feel like, you know, it's funny. If you are in a position to help uh, other people with their advertising, right? If you have clients who you're helping with, they rely on you to bring them this information. And no matter how early you bring them the education and the information, it's always not fun. <laughs> so, so I would say get the, get the bandaid ripped off and start having those not fun conversations now. And, but budgets, that's a whole other thing. Budgets are going to come into play. Small businesses may not be able to afford programmatic advertising um, uh, platforms. You know, they're they're not inexpensive. They may not be able to support an influencer campaign, depending on how expensive the influencer is. You know, so it's something. It's a conversation that needs to start happening immediately. So I have a couple of questions uh, around this as I'm trying to wrap my head around what this means uh, for marketers. So you know. A couple of the places where there's uh, inferred information about people are Google surveys. And then there's also um, affinity audiences or affinity categories in Google Analytics. Will those things be uh, impacted by any of these changes, you know, in terms of trying to understand people's interests, trying to understand their demographics? And then um, I just want to sort of uh, put it you know, sort of in our minds, but what is the impact for organic social media? I feel like that at some point, you know, will come into play and I can sort of tie that in, but I want to just throw that out there as something for us to come back to later in the conversation. So what does this mean for that inferred data from Google down the line? Oh, I, I look at Chris for that. For that. <laughs> I can see Chris smiling. He's like, oh, I know this one. <laughs> well, we know the answer, all of us, <clears throat> Google, it's interesting when you look, Facebook was protesting really loudly about, for example, the iOS 14 changes. Google was not, which makes you ask the question, why? Well, mm -hmm. Facebook doesn't own a whole lot, right? Google 
owns the browser, right? Chrome, the most popular browser in the world on the desktop. They own a substantial share of mobile browser as well. They pay Apple a sizable amount to be the default search engine in Safari. They own Google Analytics. They have insight into millions of different websites and everything that the customer is doing on them. They own the DoubleClick network itself. They own uh, the TV, right? Uh, they, they own 70% of the world's operating systems on mobile devices, the Android operating system. <clears throat> so Google is in a position where even if they have a 10x loss in data, they still have enough data and a huge training library of data for their AI to be able to make the determination, okay, this is still probably a 44-year-old male who's Asian who you know likes hot sauce, right? This is, and there's enough of that data preserved <clears throat> that they can make that assessment and be probably you know correct 90% of the time. So the data that we get as marketers may go down from what Google's sharing with us, but the data that Google has to power its ad systems will probably be okay. But it raises the really interesting point that Brooke was bringing up. Facebook still has a lot of the interest graph, especially because they own Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, et cetera. Um, so they have a lot of that data and they could, their machine learning models will still probably be okay as well. But that means that Facebook and Google will basically be the two advertising titans in the marketplace. Their ads will logically perform much better than, say, a third-party network that doesn't have the, the it loses access to its third-party data. That means that the competition for advertising space for inventory with Google and Facebook will go up, and that means prices will go up on those networks. Yeah. So that brings me to my question around organic social. So one of the things we know about organic is that the algorithms continue to change, making it more and more difficult for organic posts to be shown. And a lot of times your best bet is, you know, to boost a post or to be running ads on these platforms. But Brooke, as you're saying, a lot of these small businesses, their budgets are constrained. And so if their audience is on Facebook, if their audience is on Instagram and they need to reach them, like your, you know, your jewelry client who's making 17X, but their only way to reach them is to pay to reach them. Like what, like, what does this mean? <laughs> it means you better find the budget. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I, I don't want it to sound all bad either because one thing I do think that is so interesting about social intelligence that people can look to as a small business, right? Is their organic audiences. You can understand a lot of interest data based on your followers on social. You can look at the conversations that are happening through either manual efforts or social listening to kind of start to understand some of those interests that match up with your audience. Um, now that's not necessarily your buying audience and we would go down a whole another rabbit hole for that conversation, but still you can do some research through your organic audience and find some of that interest data through organic social media. So I think organic social media actually might get a leg up here, you know, whereas we've all been kind of running towards paid because there isn't really organic reach. There might be a leg up here with organic uh, social intelligence. But as far as budgets go and buying, it's like Chris said, it's supply and demand. You know, once this all takes fruition and, and, and keep in mind also, this is exactly why Apple, Facebook and Google are doing things like this. It's not to protect the consumer and for privacy. I think it's really a power play. But um, 
But as they do that and this and the demand goes up, obviously the supply will be in shorter supply and it will cost more money. Again, I think, you know, that's why I made some statements that some people weren't so happy with about this being potentially detrimental to really small businesses because it really could be. It could cripple them. If you don't have the budget, you can't play. That's the long and short of it. How important will social listening become? So if the, you know, third party data goes away in terms of people's interests, you can't retarget them based on the types of magazines they might subscribe to. How important will social listening be as that supplemental data to target people based on what they're talking about versus what they're interested in? Yeah, I think there'll be an interesting pivot there because obviously we love social listening and intelligence for all of the organic things that we do. But I do think that it will come into a bigger play for the paid side of, of uh, social media as well. We did use it for one project, which was really interesting where <clears throat> this is a different jewelry brand came to us and wanted to understand their audience better. They thought their audience was 18 to 24 based on a few different factors. We went through and we looked at their organic social media data, which is who's following them on social, right? And that did show, yes, your audience is 18 to 24. But what we wanted to understand is who's actually buying, right? Who's buying the jewelry? So we went through and we used social listening data and stacked that with paid uh, media data. So we were also running their paid media to look at who was actually buying. And what we found by stacking those three data sources was that her audience was actually 25 to 34, with the second largest group being 35 to, I believe, 44. So her two biggest buying groups they were talking about her on social. That's what we found out through listening. We had their interest um, was much, much, much older than we thought it was. So I just think, you know, and I'm sure Chris will back me up here, but any sort of data that you can collect on the audiences that you have, you should be storing somewhere and doing something with because it can tell you a lot. But looking at one data source, you know, i.e., only organic followers on social media wasn't enough to, to give the complete story. Yeah, especially because we know in a couple of years, some of that data will be constrained to California's new Privacy, Racks, Privacy Rights Act of 2020, which takes effect January 1, 2023, uh, is a major change from the older Consumer Privacy Act, uh, which took effect in 2020. The big change in CPRA is that sharing data is now covered. You, CCPA only uh, legislated the buying and selling of consumer data. So CPRA also now restricts the sharing of data. So for example, if we have a web form that is a co-registration between our two companies, that is now governed, even though no dollars change hands, mm -hmm. uh, that is still now governed by, this, by the new Privacy Act. So I would expect that you know, as, as time goes on, we're gonna continue to see what data we can get out of any entity that isn't our own uh, restricted. It sounds like, though, one of the, the most logical things to do would be to build your own social network, right? In a community like Slack, for example, or Discord, where you own the community as, you know, obviously you don't own the platform, but you own the administration of the community. You can't, you know, put it into a social listening tool. You have to export the data and analyze it yourself. But it sounds like that's going to be one of the best ways. That, and as much as people love to crap on it, the, the venerable email newsletter uh, is still like the best channel. It is, you know, we, we, we look at our own data. It's 70% of our conversions come from email newsletters because 
the audience can just hit reply and talk to you or click on things or whatever. Yeah, and it's yours, you own it. No one else owns it, right? So I know that's one of the things that uh, Trust Insights has also been like hitting me over the head with. And I finally, I finally get it. Like now that this is all coming, I'm like furiously trying to fix our list. Cause quite honestly, you know, we were focused on social, we were fo focused on paid. Email was never my thing. And now I'm like, oh my God, email needs to be number one thing that I'm thinking about every day because this is all coming and it's just so important that you own as much of the data as you can. So <laughs> that would be my advice first and foremost. If you don't have a list, start building. And if you do have a list, start like doing everything you can to make it clean and to segment it and make it just as pretty and perfect as you can. <laughs> Well, and I think that that's a really good point because I was going to ask, you know, what should marketers be thinking about with these changes coming? And so it sounds like think about the content uh, and the data that you own. And so you can own your email list. You can own the content that you publish. You own your website. Think of all of your owned pieces. Um, and if you are doubling down on social right now, and if you are doubling down on paid ads, but you're not diversifying the digital channels, that might be a place to start. Like what else could you be doing? What is your SEO strategy? So yes, as Chris mentioned, Google owns 70% you know, of this sort of digital space, but SEO is still a really powerful tool. And theoretically you're creating content to then post on social. Why wouldn't you also be optimizing it as well as people are searching? That's one of those quote unquote free digital channels. It doesn't cost you to have SEO, it does obviously cost you resources and time, but you're not paying to put your content out there. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the things that we started on as we started to realize the importance of email was like, let's do an audit of what we've had, right? We're nine years old, we, we don't have nothing. Um, so we're kind of starting at the foundational work of, we're auditing all of the content that we do have and we're going to look at it in a strategic way to say like, hey, here's five blog posts on topic X. What if we put these together as a free download in exchange for an email? That's one way to, you know, hopefully quickly grow our list. Um, any of the case studies that we have that are powerful, like the ones, the one that we have with um, Trust Insights, what about running a paid media strategy behind that? Again, to either get more emails or to get people to maybe sign up for a free consultation. So I think, you know, as marketers, we all need to be looking at what we have, right? I would, that's, that's where I would start, low-hanging fruit, auditing what we have, but then also you're going to have to look at all the strategies that you have in place. You guys have been talking to us about attribution models. I think those are going to have to be real thought about now with everything that's coming. So I think it's almost like a, a spring clean in a way that has to happen for every marketer everywhere based on what's coming. The big thing... I love this from Jay Bear's book Utility, which is you know, now a few years old, but it's still it's still a good book. Is is your content good enough that someone would pay money for it, right? Because if it isn't, you're not going to get people to register for your newsletter or you know fill out a, a form. Or if they do, they'll have immediate buyers or more. So put in you know crap data, you know test at test.com. I don't know anybody who does that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. If your content is so good that someone would willingly even pay money for it, then gating it's probably going to be the right way to go. If it's not, you know, I would say 
gating it's probably not necessarily the right choice until your, your quality of content goes up. How do you, when you talk to clients about the quality of their content, how do you advise them to boost the quality of their content? Like what, what specific tactics do you give them to say like, here's how to make people say, ah, I actually want this. Yeah, well, we've had another conversation about this recently. So with our case studies, we've always followed like the really simple formula of present the problem, present the solution to the problem, back that solution up with data, and then give a customer testimonial, right? Super simple. Because ultimately what we're all trying to do when we're selling our products or services is to show people like, hey, this is how this thing will solve your thing. <laughs> and then Chris, you it's have- very technical. Yeah, it's very, very technical. But Chris has an even deeper, I would say probably more strategic way in which you address content and it's called pigs, right? Yeah, so uh, the pro state the problem, state the impact of the problem if you don't solve it. Yes. Right? See, that goes even a layer deeper. Yeah, I love it. The general solution, which is, you know, what's the solution to the problem? And then the specific solution, which is how you solve the problem. Um, but there's a, there's actually a, a third layer on top of that. And it's something that I actually got from reading um, mostly CDC papers in the last uh, year or so, um, which is there's a, in the abstract for a lot of these papers, you know, it's mostly about the coronavirus. Um, it says, there's a, it's a three-part summary. What is known about the issue? What value does this research add? And then what are the implications? And I think that middle part is a part that a lot of marketers don't consider, which is I'm going to put out a new white paper about you know, social listening or something, right? What value am I adding to what's already known? Because if I'm just repeating the same old crap, you know, like, you should listen to your, your customers. Well, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> even, though no one, you know, even though no one does, we all know that we should. <laughs> exactly. We didn't need a white paper to tell you that what you already knew. It's what value is added by the content you're creating how is how is your content advancing the field of marketing even if it's just a tiny little bit um in a way that if you hadn't read this paper you wouldn't know and that to me is where i see a ton of marketing just totally fall down is it really is the same old thing all the time mm -hmm. it's yeah. why i you know when people ask like oh what marketing books do you read or what leadership books have you read i'm like i don't Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's not, you know, that's not to say that they're all crap, but like my general opinion is that they're all crap. And I can't say that I would write anything better, but they do really just regurgitate the same information over and over again. However, the way in which somebody makes it successful is to put uh, a new spin on it, like a new idea. So basically, you know, Chris, one of the things that, you know, you like to talk about is how old machine learning is, how old artificial intelligence really truly is but people are right now they're like oh my god this is this new shiny thing and you're like nope it's been around quite a long time more than most of you have um and so it's not that there are like brand new things it's new ideas around the same thing and new applications of it and that's i think that's you know it's what you're saying chris like that's what's missing so you know anytime we approach a webinar a paper even our live stream, even this podcast, our first question is, what does the audience get out of it? Why would they even care what we have to say? What is the so what, which is- The so what, I was gonna say, that's yeah. what I know y'all to say to me all the time. What's the so what? And I'm like, um. Well, <laughs> and that question. It actually started because, you know, when Chris and I first launched Trust Insights, you know, we would be doing things and he would give me this, 
you know, analysis that we're going to send to a client, I'd be like, so what, what do I do with this? How do I, how do I use this? What do I care about? Like, so what, why am I just looking at a bunch of numbers? What do I do? And so that's really been our mantra for trust insights in general is everything we do, we say, so what, like, who cares about this thing? So what? Um, and that's really what, you know, if you take nothing else away from this podcast is when you're thinking about the work that you're doing as a marketer, ask yourself, so what, who cares? Exactly. And, and the, so what very often comes into how do you solve the problem, right? So even if the problem statement isn't new, it, cause it isn't right. You know, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, privacy restrictions are, are tightening. That's not news. That's, you know, 15 years of marketing. The so what is, okay, well, what do we do about it? And mm-hmm. you don't have to get fancy about it. When we were getting ready for the show, I put together as a brief outline, right? Which is, what is it? Why does it matter? So and, then, and and how do we how do we deal with it? And we've covered all these points, right? So it's, yeah. it's not like we have to read it off the screen. But even just in your basic content marketing in a blog post, you know, the what and the why, aka the problem and the impact, What's the solution? Well, here's, you know, mm-hmm. how do you how do you fix the problem? So there when it comes to creating value out of for, for people that will power paid and unpaid efforts, it's not rocket surgery. No. No, it isn't. It just takes like the the thought, the critical thinking, I think is the piece that a lot of us want to leave out, right? And I'll say mm-hmm. us, not me, because I've learned my lesson on what happens when you leave out the critical thinking. But <laughs> But we do it, right? A lot of times we're moving so fast, we're just in the hurry to like push the easy button. So we leave that part out. And I think moving forward, maybe, and again, this is callous to say, but maybe this will be a good thing. It might weed out some of those people who don't include critical thinking. And, you know, maybe they shouldn't be invited to the field anymore to play because moving forward, you're going to have to involve the critical thinking to, to get some of these things done. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, you know, because if if you're skipping over that part, like you're going to continue to scramble. And this is a great time for marketers to dust off their A-B testing. This is a great time to be experimenting with different things because there is no one right answer to say, and this is how you solve this problem. Because as we always like to say, well, it depends. It depends on the type of business you have. It depends on where your audience is. It depends on who your audience is. It depends on what you're selling. It depends on what you care about. And so starting to test some of these solutions that we've been talking about, whether it be, you know, producing more top quality content and gating it, whether it be an email newsletter, whether it be, you know, doubling down or on organic social, maybe that is a good solution for you. Or some of these other advertising vendors, you have to test those things in order to know what's going to work for you. That's sort of the so what of what to do about this, you know, issue with third party data that's not only coming, but is currently here. Exactly. So to wrap up, Brooke, where can we people find out more about you and your company? We are not com. So it's B squared dot media. And uh, you can pretty much Google my name, Brooke Sellis. As far as I know, thus far, I'm like the only Brooke Sellis around. Um, So you can find me and we can definitely continue the conversation, preferably on Twitter. (laughs) I'm not very active on some of the other social platforms, but I'm pretty active on Twitter. So love to chat with you all there. 
Awesome. And if you've got questions about anything you've, we've talked about today, hop on over to our free Slack community, trustinsights.as/analyticsformarketers, where you and the 1,700 other marketers are asking questions and providing answers to each other all day long, including like in the middle of the night, which is pretty awesome. And wherever it is that you're tuning into this show today, if you there's a channel you prefer, go to trustinsights.as/ti-podcast, where you can find us on pretty much any place that uh, normally stocks podcasts. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Want help solving your company's data analytics and digital marketing problems? Visit trustinsights.ai today and let us know how we can help you.